You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Podcast, episode 85. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook or via our 24-hour streaming radio station, pennystocks.fm. And keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Artake segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. In our Your Stock, Our Take segment, we answer a listener question on global technology platform and digital payments leader, PayPal Holdings Inc., symbol PYPL on the NASDAQ, which recently released its third quarter financial results highlighted by solid 19% revenue increase. Our star of the week is no stranger to Keystone clients, having been in our Canadian small cap research focused by portfolio for over two years, Sangoma Technologies Corporation. Symbol is STC on the TSX Venture. The company delivers unified communication solutions for small to medium-sized businesses, enterprises, OEMs, and service providers, both on-premise and in the cloud. The stock is up 25% in the last month, 78% year-to-date, and 192% since we recommended it to clients just over two years ago at $0.72. Now, our second star of the week is a development stage company, Must Grow Biologics Corp., symbol MGRO on the CSE, an agricultural biotech company developing and commercializing a portfolio of natural science-based biopesticides. The stock is up around 28% in the last week and 70% since its IPO on the CSE Exchange, Canadian Securities Exchange, just five months ago. We endeavor to find out what is driving the stock and whether it is justified or just pure speculation. So let's get into our show again this week. I'm going to welcome my co-hosts, Aaron and Brennan. How are you guys doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? I'm doing well, too. Good. Very good. well. Very well. I, I still in the midst of Q3 earnings season, a lot of updates on the docket to go out to clients and uh, preparing uh, for a couple our upcoming conference where we're doing some research and meeting with some management teams. So you know, interesting times, November, uh, it's busy month, uh, busy into mid-December, and then have a little time. Market has been on a tear, though. That That is one thing we can say about this year. It's uh, both in Canada and the U.S., which Canada, it, over the past 5, 10 years, has really been missing out on a lot of the stock market growth that we've seen down south. But this has really been a banner year. I think the, the TSX is up close to around 20% before dividends right now. And U.S. roughly around thirty percent or so. Yeah, no, I agree. And the the only laggard here again was an exchange that I I did a talk at at the start of this year, the TSX Venture, which Brennan, I think you just calculated some numbers on it. It's it's down significantly again on the year, is it not? Yeah, it was definitely down on the year. I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but uh, yeah, no worries. But yeah, but yeah, I mean, it in an environment where you see. Like North American exchanges, almost global, but North American exchanges for sure having a significantly positive year. It is striking to see the TSX venture 
be a loser on the year once again. Didn't you have the the president of the TSX Venture um, reach out after you made a, a presentation talking about the poor performance of the exchange? He reached out to you, I think, on LinkedIn, Ryan, and he he, he thought that you were way off base with your assessment of the yeah, venture. Yeah, I thought I was way off base. I mean, and <laughs> I, w- I was talking about uh, essentially how the exchange was uh, hugely just a resource-based exchange, uh, a bunch of mining companies, and I was... I was uh, disparagingly commenting on the mining sector and how we need to do better in Canada, raise money for different type endeavors, other businesses in the tech field, for for example, outside of, say, just the pure exploration mining industry that has really been a hallmark of a lot of the, uh, the boutique brokerage firms that they've raised money for, built their businesses on that over time. Um, I think that, you know, there's a lot of capital that we see that goes to waste in that segment. And, uh, and the speech was about uh, doing better in the sector and, uh, and looking at different areas to raise capital and employ capital. And uh, I ended up re- recommending five stocks at that. And I think all five of them now are up. And they were basically all outside of the resource sector. And yeah, uh, I think it was like a forty percent return or something like that. Yeah, the, yeah, forty uh, percent plus return. It just tremendous returns from the five uh, stocks that were in that portfolio, and they were all you know TSX or TSX venture listed companies, and the exchange itself uh, and the quote unquote micro or small caps that are on it have performed again once again poorly this year. So I find it surprising that he'd reach out to you, you know, and uh and, and say <laughs> this, that maybe was, this your was on social media. This was on yeah. social media but, but still to- but still, you know, like look at the chart long term and uh you know it's definitely it's 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 not a normal uh, index where you know it just goes up over time. It's you know just kind of slowly going lower. It seems like, at least from my experience, and I, I believe Ryan was saying like in that uh, uh, in his presentation there that it is just over fifty percent are mining companies. Um, which yeah, yeah, it's you know, it's in that range. I, which I, is- and and most of the rest of the of, of the remaining fifty percent aren't that much better than mining companies. Um, yeah. But but to be but to be fair, there are. A small number of, of very solid companies on the TSX venture. Ryan, we, we've been doing this for long enough. Um, for those people that don't know, every year, two to three times, Ryan and I go through SEDAR, uh, which is where every single public publicly traded company in Canada posts their financial statements. So we look at every one of those companies. Um, yeah, at least and I'm a doing that right now. I'm going Ryan, you're doing it right now, exactly. Yeah. And we see how horrendous it is and, and the high percentage of companies in Canada that, never mind profitability, they don't even generate a penny of revenue. Never mind profitability. Yeah. They're not even close to revenue. And to me, I mean, there's there's... There's a major there, there's a major problem with that system where you have so many companies out there raising money for investors and they're not real businesses because they don't have no. customers they don't have revenues uh, the vast majority of those can be found on the venture exchange but although we have found uh, a small number of of profitable attractive growth stocks on the venture as well so guys yeah, just, one, just one of them today will be a star for us that's a TSX venture listed company that's completely outside of resource performed tremendously well this year so there are these little gems that we can find and that's what we specialize in. But like Aaron said, when we're going through CDR, we look at every company once again, every year. Uh, you see a line item called the accumulated deficit on the balance sheet there. And 
know, many of these exploration mining related companies that go through consolidations, name changes, but you know, that accumulated deficit for that business keeps accumulating over time money they've raised and basically uh, it's not gone to the capital is not gone to productive means like it's not and you know many of them have 30 to 75 million in losses money that had been raised uh, on the backs of Canadian investors and then just pissed away pardon my yeah pardon my language there but that's what we see Honestly, and that's the and, thing. It's just constant yeah. dilution too. you know, like you're you buy some shares in a company and, you know, they've got a cash burn rate and they're just constantly diluting, you know, like how how do you create shareholder value when, you know, sh- more shares are just coming into circulation? Yeah. And th- this is what we try to avoid. Well, you need to find a way to start making money, which which yeah. is yeah. not happening. Yeah. Yes. Just so you guys know, I did take a look at the performance of the venture. So it's down uh, 6% from the start of the year, but it's actually down about 18% from its highs earlier this year. Um, Well, the TSX, this has been a banner year for North American stock exchanges. The TSX Toronto exchange is up about 19% before dividends this year. So that gives you an idea of the comparison. I don't think that there are any um, indexed ETFs on the venture exchange, but if there are, I don't imagine that they have a long lifespan. Yeah, and one of the arguments from the gentleman from the uh, TSX Venture was that the composition of the exchange, uh, the companies that do well eventually graduate from that exchange go and go on to other segments. So it doesn't factor in, doesn't get those returns for the companies that do well that graduate to other exchanges. Um, you know, I, I would challenge him to give me a list of, you know, of these several hundred, say, companies that are mining companies that have graduated to, to become stars on other exchanges from that segment. And that is the segment that I was really digging into and pushing back against. Uh, there is not a long list of names that have gone on to become stars on other exchanges, whether it be the TSX or the NASDAQ or anything like that. Um, it, 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 it really more comes down to me the amount of capital and the amount of that exchange that is focused on raising capital for the mining industry, which is a very, very speculative endeavor and uh, really puts capital to poor use in this country. And, 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 you know, that is where I would challenge the exchange to go out and challenge uh, the, the brokerages, the boutique firms out there to go out and raise money for segments that are more diverse and where we can actually find some big businesses. We'd love to be able to dig into more businesses on the public markets that were actually creating cash flow and bring those to our clients. But uh, in Canada, when we go through CEDAR, about 50% of the companies we can summarily dismiss because they have not even a single uh, dime of revenue. And of course, there's and no 90% of those there, would so. be on the venture exchange. You know, it's something that I challenge yeah. well, them to we do. Should, uh, we should Sorry. get somebody yeah. from the exchange, maybe this gentleman on the podcast sometime, and we can continue the conversation yeah. with them. That'd Open invitation. Open invitation. I mean, we can, and then we can even highlight some stars, and then we can go through some uh, companies that we just think are, are uh, you know, serial raisers of capital issues of shares and have massive accumulated deficits. And we would say the point of those businesses is really to just enrich management and not to enrich shareholders long term. And, uh, you know, there is where uh, 
I believe those businesses shouldn't even be around. And I, I use the word businesses loosely when I when I refer to those companies. They are just you know shells that are essentially raising capital and, uh, and bilking Canadians out of uh, out of investment dollars. This is what we can do uh, for our clients: is tell them to just completely avoid those type of businesses and uh, and look at businesses that are creating cash flow. And there are select companies on the venture exchange, and of course on the TSX, Nasdaq, and throughout. North American exchanges that are making great money and trade at relatively reasonable prices. And that's what we bring to our clients. Strong words, but true. Yeah. And uh, now we, get, we might as well move on to our Your Stock, Our Take. It's time we answer a question on Your Stock in a little segment we like to call Your Stock, Our Take. Buy, sell, or hold. We're going to look at a company that is creating tremendous cash flow, PayPal Holdings, Inc., PYPL on the NASDAQ, Aaron. Certainly. So PayPal is a well-known company. Uh, most people have heard of it before, if, if not used it. Uh, it's a global digital payment and money transfer company. Their payment solutions include the PayPal, PayPal Credit, Braintree, Venmo, Zoom, and iZettle products. And in total, they had they reported 295 million active accounts as of the end of Q3 2019. So this is a large U.S. tech stock, uh, trades under the symbol PYPL on the NASDAQ, $104 share price, and it has a market cap of about $122 billion. PayPal's share price was trending up for the first half of 2019, but it's really kind of started to trend down moderately since July. And this is in spite of strong performance in the overall stock market during this period and for the tax sector specifically. So the company did recently report its Q3 2019 financial results on October 23rd. The results were strong. Revenue increased 19% to $4.3 billion. Non-GAAP operating income was just over a billion dollars, up 30%. And non-GAAP earnings per share was 76%, was 76 cents, up 31%. PayPal also generated cash flow from operations in the quarter of $1.1 billion and free cash flow of $923 million. Operationally, uh, things looked to go well in the quarter. They had 9.8 million net new active accounts, bringing the total number to 295 million. It's up 16%. Uh, 3.1 billion payment transactions, that's up 25%. 39.8 payment transactions per active account over the trailing 12 months, which is an increase of 9%. And the company also provided guidance for 2019 as well. They're expecting non-GAAP earnings per share of between $3.06 and $3.08 for the year, which compared to last year would be a growth rate of 27%. This also puts the valuation multiple at about 34 times earnings right now based on the 2019 guidance. So what's our take on the stock? Well, PayPal is a, is a pioneer in the digital payment and money transfer, transfer space. The fundamentals of the company continue to look strong. They are highly profitable. The balance sheet is healthy and revenues and earnings have been increasing at a double digit growth rate. The question we have to ask ourselves is, why has the stock underperformed the market since July? And I think that one of the big factors impacting PayPal right now is competition. So PayPal is far from the only player in this market. Other entrants have moved into the digital payment space to compete for market share. And one of the most notable of those being Apple Pay. 
So PayPal is still still has more market share than Apple Pay, but Apple's CEO Tim Cook claimed that Apple Pay doubled its transactions in fiscal Q4 to 3 billion transactions. And this is four times the growth rate of PayPal during the similar period. So more than likely, the the online the global online payment market space will continue to to provide opportunities, growth opportunities for PayPal, and will is large enough where we're going to see more than one large player in the space. So I don't necessarily think that competition from uh, Apple Pay or other competitors is going to put PayPal out of business or necessarily um, turn their growth rate into negative territory. The valuation of 34 times 2019 earnings guidance is certainly not cheap, but it's also not out of line for U.S. technology stocks at all. So there may be value in PayPal at the current price as the as the fundamentals do appear to be strong. It's, it's not a recommendation of keystones, but for in any investors looking to take a position, if it's a company that you'd like, if you like the story, I would advise entering the stock gradually. Um, as the recent downtrend in the share price could provide an opportunity to to buy at a lower level from here. Yeah, I think your analysis is pretty sound on it. I think competition is what is scaring people off. Anytime you have a massive name like Apple uh, in that field, uh, people get a little bit uh, trepidatious about whether or not the company can you know continue to grow or be part of that segment going forward. Like you said, it's probably large enough that they can, but uh, maybe it doesn't deserve a premium multiple uh, if if there is that competition coming into the space from one of the tech giants. So that's probably likely what is happening right now. So and with these with these tech stocks too, I mean their their entire business is disruption regardless of the industry that they're disrupting, right? But mm-hmm. they can also become the disrupted. And yeah. um that is something that I think often investors fear if they see signs that some other technology company might be coming out with a superior product or something that has some type of a competitive advantage. Um, the, the, the possibility of losing that leadership position really will weigh on the stock and the valuation. So it's, it's, it's only down moderately, but um, since over the past you know six months or so, but you know this is during a period when the, when the overall yes. market is up. So that's something that you always have to, when you're doing analysis, you can look at these good numbers and you could say, well, these numbers indicate to me that the share price should be growing. Um, but if you can see that the share price has gone in the other direction, you really have to ask yourself why you need to dig down um, and, and see what, what the market is seeing. And sometimes you don't agree with the market. Sometimes the market is looking very short term and you're looking longer term and that's where there's an opportunity. But you need to understand clearly why the market has the assessment that they do on a, on a stock. Excellent. Now we can look at our first weekly star from our stars and dogs segment. It's time for this week's star. star. That is Sangoma Technology Corporation, symbol STC on the TSX Venture. No stranger to our clients as it has been a recommendation over the past years in our Canadian small cap research. It's been in our focus buy portfolio. Currently, the stock trades at around $2.10. It has a $142 million market cap. The stock is up 25% in the last month, 78% year to date in 2019, and 192% since we recommended it to clients just over two years ago at $0.72. So what does the company do? Sangoma is leading provider of hardware and software products and accompanying 
cloud services that deliver unified communication capability or enhanced IP communications in both telecom and datacom applications. Enterprises, small, medium-sized businesses, and carriers in more than 100 countries rely on Sangoma's technology as part of the mission critical their mission critical infrastructure. Now, Sangoma has been a major player in open source telephony or OST telephony. Uh, business that business for many years. To protect its future, a number of years ago, Sangoma recognized the critical need to evolve the business beyond its reliance on what are called PSTN-based cards that are often connected to open source installations. This started with an operational rebuild, which included an internal build-out of its product portfolio, products that were Built out and increased on were included their gateways, their SBCs, a core PBX system, IP phones, and cloud-based services, broadening from SM to enterprise and enterprise or service provider, OEMs, customer segments as well, and expanding geography from North America-focused company. It was a company basically focused in North America to a global enterprise with customers and staff around the world. As a result, Sangoma is now a stronger competitor in a larger, more typical communications market, which is generally, uh, not generally, OST or open source telephony based. So what has been driving the stock over the past 12 months? The company has completed two transformational acquisitions, which have driven growth. That growth you can see in the first quarter, which is typically the weakest quarter for this company, but sales were up 31% to $28 million. EBITDA jumped 46% to $3.67 million, and net income came in at just under a million dollars, $910,000, compared to a net loss of around a million in 2019. Now, Sangoma has performed well in 2019, both financially and in terms of its stock price. Given its recent acquisition, the company is poised to grow once again in 2020. We are just releasing our client update on this stock with our current buy, sell, hold rating based on the just announced Q1 2020 results and our outlook moving forward. Now, the gains over the past month, year, and nearly 200% jump since our original recommendation make Sangoma our star of the week. Yeah, so I was just going to say, like, I'm just looking at the numbers here, um, and I don't have Q1 2020 in front of me, but just looking at Q4 uh, 2019, uh, the the 12 trailing month revenue was actually around 110 million. Uh, and again, this is for fiscal year end of uh, 2019. Year over year, that has grown almost about 100%, which is you know absolutely uh, magnificent, as well as EBITDA has done the exact same thing, uh, 12 trailing month year over year. Um, so great growth story, you know. Yeah, yes, it has for sure. You know, since that full company review and recent acquisitions really one each year of relative significance over the past five to six years uh the two in the last two years are very significant for the business going forward and uh, have really put the company you know pushed it beyond the hundred million dollar mark in terms of revenues put it on the radars of uh, some more analysts out there and some more fund managers. And the company is driving profitability via those acquisitions. Sometimes it's a tough endeavor to do to grow via acquisition. They have some organic growth, but a lot of the growth is coming from acquisitions. They seem to have been able to integrate those well and on a 
per share basis increased profitability, and that has been driving the stock. And I think it, it exemplifies really what what you do in the small cap, though, as well, Ryan, because, you know, so many times we'll see these companies, they have $20, $30 million in revenue, which is small, too small for a lot of institutional investors, but small enough for some retail investors. And as yeah. that company grows over one to three years, it can actually pass that $100 million mark um, and really open its... Uh, it, it's it's universe of potential investors up because institutions will start looking. You had a saying before: we buy before institutions. Yeah, 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 yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah, and we buy, and then often we can end up selling to them down the road, which is the opposite of what most people do. Uh, they don't benefit from anything institutions are doing. Uh, we're buying at a level often. Where the institutions, you know, larger institutions aren't looking at them. And, and like you said, the $20, $30 million range in terms of revenue, this company was there, then went to 50 plus, and then went to 100 uh, this past year, and now is looking to go over $130 million in revenue. So good growth, uh, and, and now is in a range in terms of its revenues that uh, there's some larger players that might uh, take a look at this, and you might see some funds uh, push them up to higher valuations because you, you do see some, equi- you know, peer companies in the U.S. trading at significantly higher va- uh, multiples. So you know we continue to follow the stock and and uh, our buy sell hold rating. We're not going to give that today on the podcast. We're giving that out to our clients in the report that comes out in the next day or so. But you know the company is pointed in the right direction. It's already had tremendous gains. But yeah, these are the type of companies that we're looking to find that are completely under the radar, uh, growing at a significant rate and trading at reasonable valuations. And that is where you find the potential to have a, you know, roughly 200% gain in a, in a two-year period, which is tremendous gains. Excellent gains. Yeah, so now we're going to look at our second weekly star. From our Stars and Dogs segment, it's time for this week's Star. 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 The company is must-grow Biologics Corp, symbol MGRO on the CSE. Brennan? Thank you, Ryan. Uh, So just to note here, this is one of those stocks that we alluded to earlier at the beginning of the podcast that investors should be wary of. So Musgrove is currently trading at a price right now of 55 cents, and it has a market cap of around 13.75 million. The stock was up around 28% last week and up over 70% since, since its IPO on the Canadian Securities Exchange just five months ago. So Musgrove Biologics Corp is a Canada-based company engaged in the development of natural biopesticide products for mustard seed. It is focused on the development and commercialization of non-synthetic Allyl isothiocyanate, hopefully I said that right. Uh, Easy from, for you to say, right? Yeah. Ex- exactly. Uh, from mustard seed uh, for the use as a natural biofumigant for control of nematodes, soil-borne diseases, uh, and other soil pests. So what is driving the stock here? Nothing of great significance appears to be driving the stock higher other than possible excitement from farmers uh, seeking a natural biological alternative to chemistry-based pesticide products, you know, and investor enthusiasm for future demand of the company's products may also be fueling the share price move as Musgrove has recently announced multiple initiatives for the possible use of their biopesticides, which include uh, in November of this year, Musgrove stated that they were to commence work on a disease uh, that is threatening global banana supply. 
Uh, in September, the company announced the exclusive rights of biofungicide product for cannabis and hemp cultivation, which focus on powdery mildew suppression. So they are touting that they're you know going to enter the cannabis space here. Um, and then as well, on July 24th of this year, the company announced a biocontrol and research and development program for tobacco agriculture, which they claim uh, would target the global tobacco industry. Now, looking at the company's financial results uh, for quarter two, 2019, the company has yet to produce any revenue over the past trailing 12 months. So that is not something that we look for uh, in a company um, and you should be wary of. Now, looking at EBITDA, uh, it was a loss of 325000 in quarter two, 2019, compared to a loss of 166000 for the same quarter last year. And net income was a loss of $337,000 in Q2, 2019, compared to a loss of 177000 for the same quarter last year. Um, now, taking a look at the company's balance sheet, they do have a net cash position of around 385000 but the company's highly levered with a debt-to-equity ratio of around 7.7 times, um, you know, and they aren't even generating any revenue, and they're continually losing money. So, you know, it, this, you know, should raise some red flags as to whether they can even pay this off in the future uh, without going to the market and uh, actually diluting. So... Overall here, this appears to be a story of market speculation bidding the share price up as the company's underlying fundamentals do not support such a move. The company is not generating any revenue and continues to lose money while it ramps up its research and development costs. And just to top it off here, on November 15th, 2019, the company announced a $1.5 million equity private placement at a price of around uh, $0.35 cents per share, which was a significant discount to the then current market price. The company stated that that they intended to use the proceeds from the private placement to fund research and development and for working capital and general corporate purposes. So you can see here that the company is just raising money to keep operations afloat. There's definitely some enthusiasm for Musgrove's products as it is a natural alternative to chemical-based pesticides. And there are many possible uh, uses for these natural alternatives ranging from the cannabis industry to general food production. Although the share price has increased in recent months, claiming our coveted status of the year, or sorry, of the week, the move upward could be considered unwarranted based on the company's uh, very lackluster fundamentals. We will continue to monitor the stock going forward, but at this time, this company is very, very far from meeting our investment criteria. Yeah. So who dropped the ball on picking this thing as a star? <laughs> not me. Not me. Well, not you. To be yeah. honest, to be honest. Well, you, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, so I am a uh, Saskatoon uh, raised boy uh, and essentially uh, this company's, um, I, I guess, is located in Saskatoon. So it's something that, you know, I have heard of uh, recently. Um but definitely, once I looked into the fundamentals, I didn't realize how bad this this stock was. Um, but but what were you going to say there, Aaron? Oh, I was just going to say that uh, I'm I'm actually glad it was picked as a star because it 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 allows me to make two statements. One, this company combines two things that we really don't like: um, a highly indebted balance sheet and an income statement with no revenue. So you combine those things together, and and um, we obviously at Keystone, we wouldn't uh, we wouldn't even consider looking at something like that. It's uh, it's it's risky from multiple ends. Now, I hope they can develop a product and become a profitable business. I truly do. But uh, the fact of the matter is, with no revenue, they've made no um, they they provided the market with no indication that they have the ability to do that. 
not sure who would who would provide a company that doesn't have any revenue with debt because presumably they have to service the interest then just with more debt or equity. But uh, at the end of the day, that 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 is two things that work together to be a very risky situation. Um, however, another point I would like to make is that just because we pick a company as a star does not mean we like the company as an investment. It doesn't mean that we believe it's a star investment. Just happens to be a company that has performed well over the past couple days or weeks um, that we want to actually talk about. So we've we've had this question before from people, listeners of the podcast. We've talked about a star um, that we don't necessarily think is a great stock, and people have, have thought that you know star maybe means that it's investable. It, it certainly does not mean that it's investable. It just means that it's a company that's done well. Uh, the share price has done well over the past week or so, and there's something that we wanna we want to talk about. See, and that's what I was thinking about, uh, just so you know, Aaron, that I thought that it was a nice educational piece for our listeners, just so you know. You were thinking ahead. You had it completely pre-planned. And- <laughs> yes, that's what I planned for. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, excellent. Good job, then. Yeah, Good they job. say they say great minds think alike, but I'm not sure that's the case here. So <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if Is that's the opposite yeah. true as well? Yeah. No, but I mean, there be, we've had a number of cases where we've talked about a star and then said, you know, we looked at the business and... Uh, it was a star because of the price performance, but in terms of the valuations of the business, uh, it wasn't a star in our minds. And and, and this company trades at around sixty nine cents right now. Um, you know, it's a twenty plus million dollar market cap that you're paying for a business with uh, really just uh, obviously no revenues, no profitability. Uh, speculation on management being able to develop this into a business that can produce revenues, can produce earnings. Uh, you know, again, it is highly speculative money that you would be putting into this company. And like we saw, the company will continue to have to do private placements and financings, dilute is existing shareholders to just um, forward the business and, uh, you know, get it potentially to a stage where it does produce revenues and earnings. So right now we would look at it with a a high degree of speculation. It doesn't mean that you can't put speculative dollars towards it. You should just know that those are pure speculative dollars. We would not call it investment grade at this stage. Yeah, you could also just go to Vegas. You'd probably have more fun. (laughs) Yes, I think I will. That's... (laughs) I'll take the trip to Vegas as opposed to looking at the stock price chart, yeah. unless it keeps going up the way that it is. But yeah. we've seen this reverse very quickly for these speculative companies. Once uh, once the momentum ends, it can be very tragic for any and, investors. And I think it is when when people look at these companies and they think there's blue sky potential, limitless potential. I think that you know they believe you have to take that level of risk, that tremendous you know. Uh, it has to be a company that has just blue sky potential, and you take a massive amount of risk to make that tremendous gain. Uh, and we just talked about a star in terms of Sangoma that was a profitable underlying business that has made you those returns that everybody is looking at when they invest in a company that is, you know, a development stage company. Uh, Sangoma up two hundred percent over the past couple years. That's what you're looking for when you put your dollars towards a company. But you did not have to take the level of risk where you're investing in a business that has no underlying cash flow or fundamentals. You can invest in a company that has underlying fundamentals, cash flow, and has the potential to be a Sangoma or an Expel, which, you know, two years ago from now was a pro or two years ago was a profitable business trading at 140. Today it's trading at $14 and 50 cents. So 
again, tremendous returns don't have to take the massive level of risk that you do when you're investing in a company that has no underlying cash flow, which really the cash flow, the revenues, that's proof of concept. It has told us that that business has customers. Uh, People are willing to shell out dollars, pay for them, and they can do it and operate it profitably. So all of those things can be checked off. You can make an investment and still have that upside that you're looking for in a development stage company. That's what we believe, and that's kind of what our research brings to clients, particularly in the small cap area of the business. Great advice, Ron. I think that puts a wrap on our show this week. Good show, guys. Um, I'd like to thank my co-hosts, Aaron and Brennan, for co-hosting with you and wish you all out there profitable investing. Profitable investing. Thank you.